Hey everyone and welcome to another bonus episode of the Rumcast, bonus episode for January of 2024. First one of the year, John. Really excited to be back again, fresh off our 100th episode. And we're actually going to do something connected to that episode and a little different than usual. I know the last episode, the 100th episode, took us a little extra time to get everything together for that. It actually came out a week late. I know some of you out there noticed that and were wondering where your new episode of the Rumcast was. So to make up for the fact that it was a week late, we're going to make this bonus episode, which are normally just for our Patreon subscribers, free for all. And uh, doing something a little different for a bonus episode this month, we are, as, as we said on the 100th episode, we did 12 full interviews for it. Um, now, by full, I, they weren't as long as our typical Rumcast interviews, which are generally mm-hmm. 60 to 90 minutes. Most of them were in the neighborhood of half an hour or so. But we are going to eventually release all those full inter- interviews on Patreon. Uh, for this bonus episode, we're going to release one of them for everyone. And that is our interview with Ian Burrell, the Glo- Global Rum Ambassador, the co-founder of Equiano Rum, and honestly, Mr. I, Seven I, Continents himself. Mr. Seven Continents. <laughs> uh, Mr. Seven Continents. Yeah. There's a new Mr. Worldwide in town, right? Uh, Mr. Um, Worldwide. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mr. Rum Worldwide. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've, we could have picked any episode to release to everyone, but um, I, I know Ian's had, se- like, everyone's episode had segments that we wanted to put in the 100th episode, but we just had to cut down some stuff to make it all flow together, and so it didn't end up being four hours. Mm-hmm. Um, Ian's had a lot of segments that we wanted to put in that we just you know, couldn't find the right home for, so we're really excited to release the whole thing for everyone. There's some good stuff about uh, new things coming down the line from Equiano, actually, that's in there. A lot more on what it takes to create a viable rum brand that was really interesting. A lot yeah. of thoughts on kind of the progress and how people talk about rum, the the discussions around rum that are going on, how those are getting smarter, the state of transparency, a lot of good stuff we couldn't fit in. So I'm excited for everyone to hear the full interview, which will be coming up uh, right after this little introduction. But as per, I I feel like on most of our bonus episodes, John, we at at least talk a little bit about rums we've been tasting recently. Mm -hmm. And you and I both tasted a very interesting rum recently that we wanted to discuss before getting to the interview with Ian. And this is a little different than usual. This was a mystery rum. Yeah, it's a cool concept to get, uh, you know, a little mystery sample with the three question marks the three like question came from marks. the Riddler, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It had one of those yeah. notes with like the cutout magazine characters, newspaper <laughs> print and stuff with it. Um, it didn't actually. This this sample came to us from a friend of the podcast, Kyle in DC. So shout out to him. But yeah, it was a fun exercise where it, John and I have not discussed this either. So I don't really know what John's guess is as to the identity of this mystery rum are, and he doesn't know what mine were. And another little wrinkle is that I know what the mystery rum is because I've already been through the process of guessing, discovering I was very, 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 very wrong. So this okay. is also going to be embarrassing for me talking through this uh, on, on the podcast that's going out to everyone. Instead Probably of just com- equally embarrassing for me after I take a guess that's going to be very, very wrong. Uh, don't, yeah. don't, don't sell me short, John. Um, okay, okay. <laughs> but... So I know what this is. Kyle shared that with me. John has not had the reveal yet, so we're going to get to hear his reaction live on the podcast. And but before we get to the rum's identity, I'd love to just hear 
what your general impressions of this rum were. You know, describe it a little for the people out there who, who yeah. can't smell, taste, or see it right now. So it's uh, first of all, it's it's quite quite dark in color. I, I would give this like a reddish hue with some age on it, clearly because it's mm, about the color of maple syrup. Is yeah, what I would say. So it's, you know, that's where you start with it. And by the way, I should mention that I really haven't dug into this sample until right now. I literally poured it the first time just before we started talking. And so this is really a... a We're getting the the off-the-cuff, unfiltered John Gullah reactions right now. And what's really cool about this is you can immediately tell it's something different. Um, It's not often that I get something that I feel is unique in a way, I guess I would say. And I'm getting uniqueness from this. Just off the nose and off, I've taken a little bit of a sip of it. And what I'm getting, when I first, the first nose I got, I'm just going to tell you, like, this is live reaction, like you said, was like something like apples, something along those lines, like stewed apples maybe, or, and now I'm getting a little bit more of like a cola, like cola notes. I see that. And something in the background that has a sweetness like vanilla or confectioner sugar, something along yeah. those lines. Yeah. So that's that's where I'm getting. And then when I went in for the palate, I'm going to do it one more time here. So while you're doing that, I'll talk through my initial impressions of this. I got, I, I actually, I quite enjoyed the nose the, the first time I mm-hmm. went to it. And I'm describing the first time because this time coming back around to it now for the second time mm-hmm. knowing the identity of the rum it's interesting how things have changed which i'll talk about in a second mm-hmm. but i got a lot of vanilla on the nose yeah. yeah and i also got kind of like um a little bit of a nuttiness and a lot of kind of raw oak character which mm-hmm. i often associate with rums that have taken on age uh, or oak characteristics quickly and so when I combined that with the color of the rum, the first place my mind went was this is a rum that has maybe been aged in like a new barrel in like very, very hot environment in a short amount of time. Um, and when I went into the palette, I got more of that. And I don't know if it was because that's what my expectation was off the nose, right. but I got like absolutely overwhelmed with vanilla on the palate the first time. So much so that I I struggled to identify other things in the rum beyond that and just kind of vague, you know, oak characteristics. Um, now, that was my first time. My second time is very different, but I'm curious to hear, now that you are, are chewing on it over there, what your reactions are. I do get vanilla, but I'm not overwhelmed by it. Yeah. I'm still getting a lot of cola from mm. it. And to the to the point where... It's not often I get this, but sometimes if you kind of like push your tongue to the top of your palate, it feels effervescent. Oh, yeah. I know, I know it's not, you know, it's not uh, obviously carbonated, but it almost gives you that a little bit, uh, which I find interesting. Doesn't happen too often. So that's where I'm getting it. Um, I'm, I'm really struggling with what a guess would be for this. Mouthfeel wise, it's not heavy. I, I, I would call this, you know, pretty light. Mm-hmm. Uh, on body and uh, by the way this is not my forte right this is not what i do at home every <laughs> night and like let me test my skills for tasting this blind and doing it like i just you're like being, rum, right? you're being judged very very heavily right now <laughs> this this is for the one guy on youtube that left the comment that said stick to interviews because our palates are cringe <laughs> Wait, i didn't see that someone said that <laughs> somebody said that yes 
you shout know out, you've made it, Will, when shout out that YouTube person. Is, yeah, no, I didn't give you that. You. That's great. Um, yeah, so you know, like I'm obviously uh, not priding myself on the skills of this, but anyways, I, it's enjoyable. It's it feels like there's a little bit of sweetness there. I wouldn't be surprised if this was very mildly dosed. Mm, right? Okay. Like, you know, that kind of between five and ten type of, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, what is it, grams per liter? I always screwed up. Um, because there's just a little bit of sweetness on there. Or it could have just been from the barrel. So uh, it doesn't come off as like a really heavily sweetened rum. Yeah. So, so guess-wise, right? You're going to hold me to the guess? Yeah, actually, I do, I, we should hear your your guess before I get into mine. What? Why don't we start? I can ask you some questions about it. Okay, so, okay. first of all, how old do you think this is? I'm going to go with the classic kind of like eight okay. to ten year. Okay. And ABV wise, what are you thinking? Ooh, that's a good question, actually. It's low. So 43, 40, in, in around there, 45, 46 at most. And it feels are, low. Are you thinking toward origin at all? You don't, don't even necessarily have to get to specific distillery or country, but is there a region of rum you're feeling drawn to? No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can cross some things out, right? I don't believe, and I could be totally wrong, but I don't believe it's Australian. Okay. All right. Okay. So I can cross that out. Um, I don't pick up notes of like Mexican really in there. Okay. Um, South American, I could be, it's hard to rule that out. Oh my gosh. I'm still what, thinking what about, Caribbean. What, what about one of the big, the big rum-producing countries? You know. Yeah. Well, well, that's where I was kind of leading to. Yeah. Is I'm still thinking Caribbean. So, okay. you know, Barbados, uh, Jamaica doesn't taste like a Jamaica to me. So I'm gonna probably say no on that. You know, Puerto Rico. It could be. Yeah. That's that's. I. I'm gonna go with Puerto Rico. But right. I I I, I, I can't so tell with, you really strongly why. With with that in mind, I'm as- gonna assume that you think it's a column still rum. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. All right. So now that we've got, you're guessing, aged Puerto Rican rum, somewhere yeah. in the neighborhood, eight to ten years, something like that. Not yeah. not high ABV. Okay. Yeah. So my guess, these were my. I was texting with the person who sent us a sample, and to me, it was really kind of driving me nuts because something felt a little familiar about it to me. But again, on that first tasting, it was really like overwhelming vanilla bomb to me. Mm -hmm. And I said that it tasted like a rum that took on a ton of oak in less time than you'd think, given the dark color. In that respect, it reminded me a little bit of some of those treaty oak rums, you know, that aged in Texas in New American oak and were very dark and, you know, we're generally like those. Mm-hmm. five to seven years old, something like that. Right. Um, I just kind of got like, like those have a harsh oak character and I, I enjoy some of those, those releases, but the oak is very strong and that's what this reminded me of. But I didn't recall any of them having that intense vanilla quality. So it was like, right. I don't think that's what it is, but it reminds me a little bit of that. I didn't think it was Caribbean. 
Um, I guess that it was either, uh, this sounds so stupid reading it now, I guess that it was either from a craft distillery, you know, a new new smaller producer that hadn't been aging stuff for that long um, and and may have used new oak in a hot environment or something like that, um, or maybe a South American one. So there was something about it where I was like, it does feel kind of on the lighter side. So maybe it is, you know, column still. So that's what I went with. And then I asked Kyle to tell me how wrong I am. And he the, proceeded to tell oh, me just how wrong okay, I was. Okay. The only thing, you keep stressing the vanilla. The only time I can remember having, ever having a vanilla bomb, which I remember being more vanilla than this, was Madagascar rum called Zama, mm. D-Z-A-M-A. Mm-hmm. And that made sense because, you know, Madagascar is famous for their vanilla. I'm not saying this is that. It's been very at least four years since I've tried that rum. But yeah, that's the only other example I can think of. All right. Okay, go ahead. Are you ready for the reveal? So first of all, I'm going to tell you how old this is, because that's what the first thing that Kyle told me. It's not 8 to 10 years old. Okay. It's not 15 years old. Okay. It's not 20 years old. Really? And it's not 25 years old. Really? It's also not 30 years old. Get out. It's also not 40 years old. Oh. It's 44 years old, John. 44 years old. 44 years old. Holy crap, first of all. (laughs) Wow. Basically, it's as old as I am. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was distilled in um, maybe 76 or sometime around there. I know it was the 70s. I forget the specific year. Okay. So, well, I don't think it was just bottled. This this year, so I'll tell you what it was now. Okay, this was a an, from an independent bottler, uh, the Whiskey Jury. It was bottled at cask strength of fifty six percent. Yeah, ABV. Out. No way. I want a hydrometer tester, whatever it is, but <laughs> not a hydrometer. Um, an ABV test. A, hy- a hydrometer does tell you ABV. So it does. Okay. Yeah, you were right. on the the right track there. Um, and it was from an undisclosed Caribbean distillery that we do know was located in Cuba. Oh, <laughs> so I got a little close. Oh, well, you did. I yeah. got a little close. <laughs> you did. There was a All piece right. of your answer, the yeah. Puerto Rico, that is, you know, very tied to some traditions of Cuban rum production as well. Yeah. So, yeah, a little bit in the wheelhouse. So good job on your part. Certainly, I would, I would give you points for being much, much closer than I was, <laughs> in my guess. Um, so a, a few interesting things. I, I do. I, I don't think I didn't guess the ABV. I don't think I would have guessed quite as high as fifty six percent. But I mm-hmm. do think knowing the age that makes a little bit more sense yeah. to me because I yeah. think when you have that long of age, rum, rums to me that I've had that are very old tend to drink underneath their proof a little bit. Yeah. So I don't really fault you for that. That um, makes sense. The interesting thing for me is, you know, we talk about the experience from trying a rum the first time to the second time, sometimes varying wildly, you know? Yeah. And I try not to base my impressions of a rum off just that initial tasting. Um, However, I did deliver my guess off of just one initial tasting. And now some of my initial impressions i'm still getting i still do get a lot of vanilla from this rum i'm i'm mm-hmm. i've gotten more stuff out of it like i'm getting more raisins and a little bit more fruity character out of the rum this time around than i did beforehand yeah and i don't know how much of the change has to do with me knowing the identity of the rum 
And because I feel like when your brain knows certain information about something, it, it almost subconsciously is going to have expect different things, which right. I do think impacts how your experience of tasting it. Yeah. Um, having said that, I kept asking myself the question of, do I like this rum? And mm-hmm. the, the my answer after the first tasting was an emphatic no. Um, I thought it was tasting on borderline artificial vanilla flavor. I thought that the finish was really short. Very short. And, it's almost non-existent. And yeah. almost just like vanilla and some like raw oak characteristics. Almost, almost like sawdust kind of, you know, mm. oak quality. Mm-hmm. Not the... Not the kind of oak characteristics that I really associate with really long, well-aged drums. And now, having said all that, my second tasting here, it's improved some. It's not just vanilla turned up to 11 in my face. Like I said, there's other things I'm getting. That said, the the finish to me is still really short and not what I would have expected from a 44-year-old rum. And to me, that's the most disappointing thing about it is that the finish just kind of dies and right. it, it doesn't really, nothing really unfolds from it. There's mm-hmm. little complexity in it to me. And um, that part of my analysis has remained the same, despite the identity revealing just how wrong I was about this rum. Yeah. But what it is there is pleasant. Um, I'm less sensitive to oak influence than you are. Generally, I think I, could, I think I feel qualified to say that after this many years, <laughs> and so to me, I, I enjoy that uh, overall palette of this rum. But I would agree 100. percent Even knowing now that this is in the 50s for ABV and having a finish that quick is, you know, kind of a letdown. Um, you, there is something I've mentioned before. I wish I could put a finer point on it, but now that you've mentioned this is a long age rum. When I go in and smell the glass, I now get that kind of thing that, you know, when you file things in your brain, like this this now falls under that, oh, yeah, there's that like really long, musty, oaky yeah. kind of aged smell that you get. Not in every case, but the only place I've ever found it is from those long aged rums when it is present. So it's Walking not into every an long old library. Rum. Yeah. <laughs> Right, exactly. You don't have to agree or, or, to that. I was just no, kidding. No, I, I think it is. I, I, I think that's kind of where it is, or like an old closet or something, you know? Um, and it attractive. is there here. So then, then I'm, I'm kind of mad that I missed that uh, mm. before the reveal. But I will say, overall, I, I like the rum. Would I pay an exorbitant price for it? No. But, but it's, it's, a, it's a fine pour. Well, this was a fun exercise, and I enjoyed you know sharing not only with you but all the people out there uh yeah. just how wrong i can be about <laughs> blind tasting so an adventure for sure but with that out of the way we're gonna take a quick break and then get right over to the full interview from our 100th episode with mr ian burrell So, Ian, we will start with kind of the, we'll, we'll look past and then we'll look forward and then we'll do our Ian questions, but kind of looking back at the last four or five years in rum, so since, yeah. you know, 2019, 2018-ish, when you look back at that, what kind of stands out to you as either some sort of noteworthy development, a change, a directional trend or something that you think really kind of 
captures that time period in rum or just stands out as being noteworthy or important in some way? Um, I think for me, the the transparency and the understanding of rum, there's more questions being asked by consumers. Um, and a lot of that has to do with, of course, the world slowed down during COVID. So there's a lot more time for people to do more research on what they were buying, what they were drinking, um, asking more questions. Rum as a category, as you know, um, has been taken for granted and taken advantage of by uh, certain brands, certain companies because of the unclear um, defining rules of what rum exactly is in the context of uh, Scotch whiskey and American whiskey. And I say that because when we default to rum has no rules and they compare it to <laughs> Scotch whiskey and American whiskey, we're talking about two regions in the world where if you actually break it down, rum actually has more defining rules by country of origin than whiskey does globally. So what people are now asking questions, making comparisons, of course, but the good thing is I'm seeing a lot more people comparing apples with apples as opposed to apples and pears. So they're not saying, oh, this uh, pot still rum from um, uh, Venezuela has got no body, no esters, no funk. Uh, and I'm like, what are you comparing it to? I'm comparing it to a, a Hamden, um, <laughs> which is made completely different. Yes, they use batch distillation, but it's a different piece of equipment different types of fermentation made in a different country with a different set of rules. And that's like comparing, as I said, that's like comparing a bourbon to a Scotch whiskey. So we're seeing more people ask these questions, um, defining rums for their own personal taste and personal palate. Um, and that's great for the category because it means that people can find their own lane, find their own niche within the rum category. And there's room for everyone um, to do all types of rums, just as long as we know exactly what's in the bottle, uh, deciphering the label and understanding what we have even before we jump into a glass. Um, but I'm seeing a lot more of that, especially in the last five years. Um, and that's been one of the most rewarding um, parts of the industry I've seen globally. Um, other than that, it's new regions. It's new regions getting back into rums or um, or just getting into rums in, on an international perspective. I love seeing the continent of Africa now starting to make a little bit of noise with rums coming out of one of the, the various countries out there. And we'll see a lot more in the near future. So uh, a lot of that has started in the last five years. So, yeah, it's just rums from unknown or uncharted territories. that um, That's exciting me. Yeah, and um, oh, I'm, I'm going to go against the, the outline I laid out at the beginning, and I want to ask a question mm. specifically about you because you're mentioning mm. Africa, and you've yeah. been a part of bringing some of that African rum to the forefront with the the Mauritius portion of the yeah. Equiano yeah. blend, um, yeah. and I think the kind of this last four or five years of rum is, has been a really interesting time in terms of new brands coming mm -hmm. on the market, uh, very yeah. distinctive new brands coming on the market. Yeah. So based on kind of your experience, you know, you've come a long way in a short period of time with Equiano. I'm sure there have been lots of surprises, lessons, things <laughs> learned yeah. the way. What do you think are kind of the biggest challenges for new rum brands right now that will kind of continue to be part of the story as we go into the, the next five years or so? Um, I think part of the biggest challenge is to be uh, is to first of all is to understand and know your audience. Um, I get uh, as as an ambassador, I get a lot of different companies contact me pretty much. I would say daily, but definitely uh, by the week or by the month of new brands that want to launch. I want to do this, and, mm -hmm. and the first thing I ask them is, "Who is your target audience?" And they can't really define who their audience are. They don't know if they want to try to create something for the general public 
uh, where you want something much more sweeter and lighter and easily using a cocktail and, and want to do volume, or do they want something niche? Uh, do they want to go for that really that small geeky type of uh, um, target audience that want to talk about esters and how the barrel was aged and what is the dress size of the master blender and the master distiller? <laughs> do they want to, what type of rum do they want to create? Because once they define that, um, then that journey is a little bit easier. It's not going to be easy, but a little bit easier. So that is probably the biggest challenge because I've seen a lot of brands launch and they don't know what they want. <laughs> they don't know which direction they want to go go to. Um, and as and because there are so many different styles of rums, it's quite hard to actually pigeonhole yourself into a particular category, especially if you're from a new area. I mean, if I, there's a new distillery being built, for example, in Barbados, yeah. now they're probably going to default to some of the most more successful Barbados rums in recent times. So they probably have products very similar to a Foursquare or similar to a Mount Gay, just because of the fact that's the reason why they build it on, on, on Barbados. If I was going to build a distillery in Jamaica, I want a little bit of that Jamaica funk inside there, mm. like the Hamdens, but I also want some of that commercial, that commercial um, flavor profile that Appleton have uh, as well. So you don't want to go too um um extreme uh, when you come with flavor profiles so it's understanding your audience and i think that's the biggest the biggest challenge that some of the brands will have once they find that it becomes a little bit easier what do you see the audience of equiano as because i i when i when i'm just thinking about it i have my mm. assumptions um yeah. and i feel like you could go a few different directions with it because to me it's yeah. well, I, I don't want to answer the question correct. so i'll, I'll leave oh, it yeah, to you i say correct Hundred percent correct. One of the things I always say about rums like Black Equiano, I say it's a rum for the many and not for the few. Um, just because I want as many, many people to try and taste uh, rums like Equiano, not only my rum, but other rums of that ilk. Mm-hmm. When I break down the rum drinking audience around the world, I go one ninety and ninety. I have that one percent that are the ultra geeks, and they do want certain casts and certain styles of products, but they're only one percent of that of that world market. Then you have the nine percent, which are the influencers. Now, these people will go online, they will do their research, they will brand call when they go into a bar, they will have the, have their rums with their favorite mixes. Um, they may have, someone might have a, uh, the regular person might have the basic rum, but they're going to they're gonna ask for the 12-year-old or the XO. Um, they're actually going to specifically call for a brand, but not as geeky, ultra yeah. geeky. Yeah. As, they're in the as know. As they're in the know, yeah. but they're, they're not the all the way. Yeah, yeah. Correct. And then you have the 90%, which makes up a majority of the rum drinking populace in the world. And a lot of those, for example, still will equate a spice rum to a rum. Um, right. They don't know the difference um, as such. Now, they're just on a different journey, a different rum journey from, say, the, the 9% and that 1%. And a lot of that higher percentage did start off drinking the flavored rums, the spice rums, the sweetened rums um, as such. So um, with Equiano, I tried, to, I tried to create it initially for that 9%. We were going to be a little bit higher than someone who would, automatically say, well, oh, I don't like Equiano because it's not sweet enough. It's a sweet rum. It's a naturally sweet rum, but it hasn't been sweetened. Um, but it's only 43% alcohol by volume. I say only 43 because in the States, as you know, to be a rum, you have to be at least 80 proof. Equiano is 86 proof. But if we're going to the ultra geeks now, they want cast strength. They want, it can't be anything less than uh, 120 proof, yeah. 118 proof as such. So it's not going to go, Equiano as a general brand is not going up to that level. So it's in between. And it can be sipped by itself. It can be uh, drunk with ice. I wouldn't recommend putting water in there. And the only reason why, because it's already diluted to 43%. <laughs> right. Already. You found the sweet spot. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I always, I, anytime I actually put a bit of water in some of my rums are if they're cast strengths. And sometimes that may be only in the Caribbean where it may be a bit more dry. The heat may be dry or 
a bit of humidity here and I just tried to open up a little bit more. Other than that, hey, the blenders and the sellers, they've, they've watered it down to 60 to 50 to 45. That's what they want you to yep. drink it at. They've already put enough water inside there, but that's just my own personal um, my own personal preference. Equiano is for that 9%, the rum for the many and not for the few. <laughs> Here, here's the hoping we can make that 9%, at least an 18%, right? Let's double it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> let's get, yeah, let's get two 18 and 80. Wait, is my math right? I think so. But <laughs> well, we are, and funny enough, we are our next um, Equiano release, uh, which is actually on the waters at the moment in Atlantic Ocean coming from Barbados is actually 52% ABV. So Ooh, it will venture nice. into that, uh, that 1%. Uh, and that's because it's a, um, a limited edition um, blending that we're going to be doing on a regular basis. So that's going to be the first of our, what we call our exceptional blends at 52% ABV. But there's more of a story behind why it's 52% and uh, the vintage vintages that Richard Seals used in, the, in that blend. Oh, I can't wait for that. That's exciting. Oh, you guys will be getting some samples. Don't worry. Ooh, sweet. <laughs> Music to our ears. <laughs> um, Will, I know we're a little off script, but I want to ask no, something before it. we go to the um, the future. So, Ian, with you being a leading rum educator and all of, all of what you've already said in response to the other questions, has has your methods or methodology of how you talk to people in rum events changed over that time in in with regards to all of the things you mentioned yeah it has um as i said there's a lot more knowledgeable people which is great you don't have to um you don't have to basically <laughs> dumb down the conversation when mm-hmm. we're talking about rums um also uh, the good thing about it is people understanding where rum has actually come from mm-hmm. um, having conversations about enslaved africans that were making the rum at a particular time where yep. when we were first taught about rums they were never really spoken about. In fact, yeah. the only time they came up in reference is like, oh yeah, they uh they 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 drank molasses and they drank fermented molasses and they as opposed to them actually making the rums and being the distillers and being the blenders at a particular time because it's all just work. Um so they were the ones making the rums but not getting the credit. So it's it it's I'm glad and it's nice to see people um speak about what's going enslaved Africans in that in that respect in the history of rum that's part of uh, the conversation. So yeah, so it's how I've spoke, how I speak about rum in 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 a lot in the recent times has changed completely compared to how I was speaking about rum ten years ago, fifteen years ago. Um, I I'm still learning about the category. Um, someone said to me the other day, "Oh, you're the most knowledgeable person in in rum." I'm like, "No, I'm not. I just know a little tiny bit more than most, but I'm still learning every single day uh, about the category of rum because it's so fascinating and and intriguing." Yeah, I mean, it's really a never-ending education, I feel like, especially oh, yeah, with yeah. because it comes from so many parts of the world and so Correct, many different yeah. cultures. It's like, how Correct. can you possibly claim to understand all of it, you know? Exactly, um, exactly. It takes several <laughs> lifetimes to, to, yeah. to master it all, I feel yeah, like. I mean, one of, one of, my, one of, my, uh, um, one of the bucket list trips I have to make is to Nepal um, because they're, they're, there's a distillery there. They've been making rum since the 1930s, importing molasses from India. Um, and it's a traditional rum for Nepal, um, but the, the bottle, the, 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 the coronation bottle is shaped like a dagger, uh, the Kukri, which again was historically yeah, connected yeah. to the British and the Burkas, and they used to have uh, it in their little sashes, but they got a rum like that. And, uh, so that's one of my, uh, one of my, um, des- that's one of my destination, one of the places I have to go to, I want to go and see. Uh, the Kirkry guys in, in in Nepal just to see how they make the rums. And again, it's going to be different from rums from India, let alone uh, other parts of Asia. 
um, and definitely different from rums from the Americas. There's, well, if there's you need a, a guide. If you need a guide. We know. <laughs> I don't know Nepalese right now, but I'll learn. Ah, there we go. <laughs> uh, I was, was going to say there's a there's a hundred different independent bottlers now booking their flights to Nepal. Hearing you talk about that. <laughs> Also, also, I think it's great that the the man who has sipped rum in Antarctica still has oh, a, a bucket yeah. list rum destination. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, that was quite funny. Quite funny sipping rums in master classes down there. It was uh, wow. That was definitely the most beautiful place I've ever been uh, been to on the planet. But wow, it was uh, it was intriguing. I've actually done it twice now, which is uh, really scary. Oh, wow. Yeah, I went back in 2013. Um, I actually posted a video on YouTube where I'm making a uh, a grog uh, going over the Drake's <laughs> Passage. And it was so cold and so windy. I had to have the cocktail shaker at one side and the, the bottle at another. And the wind blew the liquid <laughs> into, from an angle into the shaker. I didn't even have to pour it over it. It was just so cold. I didn't even need ice. My hands was frozen. Uh, it was like a penguin shaker. <laughs> and, and just doing, uh, it shakes just automatically because your hand is already <laughs> shaking so much. It was so cold, yeah. I couldn't even let go because it stuck to my hands. But um, yeah, just having what's called rum, lime, sugar, and water on a ship going over the Drake's Passage. Um, something that Sir Francis Drake would have probably have done um, yeah. back in the 1500s. Um, I didn't have any mint on me, or I'd have made El Drake, uh, uh, named uh, after Francis Drake, the precursor mm-hmm. to the mojito. Um, so yes, but that was the nearest I could get to like a, a naval type of drink uh, going over right. Drake's Passage. But uh, yeah, but it's such an amazing place. But to to have rum in, on seven continents um, is for me just so rewarding um, for myself and helps me helps me infuse even more people to want to travel and try rums in different parts of the world. Yeah. John and I have some catching up to do for sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I was going to say, speaking of rum on different continents also, mm-hmm. you would be one of the people that would uh, definitely have experience enough to know, like, where is the U.S. in relation to maybe Europe, especially now as compared mm-hmm. to maybe a few years ago? Uh, as in rum making or drinking? Because if it's drinking, yes. they, they, they're kicking butt. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it helps when uh, it helps when you can buy rum very very cheap in the continent and uh, mm-hmm. so lots of volume. Uh, if we're talking about making rums, there's there's, there's been a few distilleries that I've, that I've seen of late um, or recently, I should say, that are popping up there and making rums. And you've got the craft distillery movement, uh, not only making whiskeys but also getting into rums because it's becoming so popular. I mean, you had. I remember when Maggie Campbell was down, what's called a um, uh, privateer. I was like, that was that was probably one of my biggest regrets, not to see Maggie in Massachusetts making old Boston, New England style rums out there because I would have loved to try to uh, um, roll back the years. I won't go not that far, but <laughs> trying to taste rums. Maybe that, maybe that would that would that tasted like New England rums from back in the days. And then you go down in the south and you go to somewhere like uh, Louisiana that have all that, whole, all that sugar cane and the history of, of making rum and spirits down there and a few distilleries down there doing their style um, as well. Of course, Florida, I'm um, seeing a, lot, a couple of brands, a couple of rums come out of Florida, but it's good to see some of these craft distillers using local cane or local molasses, making rum and then trying to create their own, their own little nuance, their own little profile and uh, and establish maybe uh, which i'd love to see a, a genuine mainland american rum industry because when we think of the us and we think of rums it's always rums from puerto rico and the virgin islands that really that really take over all the figures and that and they're misconstrued right. in certain ways because as you know that rum has been made for peanuts especially with a cover over tax um where you're getting money back for making rum so you can sell it for cheap 
at the end of the day. So, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing some really interesting brands come to the States and I think that we'll see some in, in, in a few years time, we'll see some incredible brands. Um, I wouldn't say taking, trying to take on the Caribbeans because we, we do it best, but running yeah. <laughs> um, our heads to say, this is not bad. I see where you're going with that. I like that. That, that that's always my my uh a, a piece of advice if I'm ever asked by American craft distillers is don't yeah. compare yourselves to the to the Caribbean. Yeah. I know it's tempting, Correct. but just yeah. do your yeah. own thing. Don't you yeah. know? We don't need the compare and contrast. Just do your Correct. own thing. Do your own thing. That's yes. great advice. That is great advice. Yeah, just just do your own thing, and if it tastes good, then um, I think one of the uh, one of my favorite lines from one of my favorite rum makers was he just said, "I'm just going to make rum that I enjoy." Yeah, <laughs> that means if other people, if other people have a similar palate, they're gonna enjoy it as well. Yeah, the rum that you I, enjoy. <laughs> I'm just gonna drink rum that I enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we we've kind of talked about the the recent history. Looking mm. ahead, um, mm. if rum enthusiasts are or imagine rum enthusiasts sitting there yeah. four or five years from now, yeah. what do you think are going to be some things that they're noticing at that time that are different? from the rum world we are living in currently crystal ball time um <laughs> yeah you're gonna yeah you'll, you'll definitely see you'll see a few new few new brands and distilleries popping up in 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 traditional rum producing countries just because of the fact that rum is growing at an alarming rate but there's also more money now for investment because People are thinking, well, you know what, if we're making all this money, all that money has been made on whiskey and, and other craft spirits, why can't we do it on, on the category that everyone said is the next big thing, is the fastest growing? So uh, you're going to see a lot more rum brands, new rum brands. And uh, again, it's it's a good thing and a bad thing because you're going to see some good rum, some good rum brands. And unfortunately, you're going to see some bad rum brands um, as well, muddy in the waters. Um, so it's going to be just trying to peel away those layers. There's going to be a lot more products out there people to try taste at various different rum fairs and rum events um and that's what we're going to see in the future more rum brands better uh rum brands than today um but also unfortunately some really uh what i like to say charlatans cutting corners mm -hmm. just to try to get that taste profile just be and, and also take advantage of the popularity of rum and then also um of course i i, I touched upon it a little bit earlier um Rums coming from new territories, territories that are not really known for rums. I mentioned Africa um, as, a, as a continent. I was recently, about three months ago, at a distillery in Ghana. And um, they will be this year launching their first three-year-old rum. So in five years' time, that, that's going to be an eight-year rum. And, it, and, it, and, and what I've tasted from their unage and that three-year when I was there, it's beautiful. So just seeing these distilleries grow um and seeing that timeline and we can now trace that because we're opening our eyes to see that there's a lot of people that we probably know that wish they could have anticipated for example someone like a foursquare wish that they were around in 2007 and say let me buy up all this because i know in 10 years time this is going to be even yeah. better and absolutely yeah. amazing it's going to be collector's time but we we didn't have the foresight now we have that part of that foresight we're now looking for the next big thing um, what is going to be the next new Jamaica rum? Is there going to be a new distillery built out there? We know of one, possibly two, in Barbados. The Grenadans, we have Renegade in, in Grenada doing some great, as they call, pre-casks, but now they're aging some of that so we can see that timeline of how these rums are growing. Um, so, yeah, that's that's exciting part of the next five years, just seeing, just seeing how the rums that are doing really well now, how they developed five years later, and how they follow in that trajectory. There's such a great point. There are many great points in there, but one of the th 
things that you're touching on is something I've been thinking about a lot lately too, which is we think so much about rums from new places, right? Which mm -hmm. is going to be, a, that's absolutely happening and that's going to be a yeah. big thing. But the other yeah. thing is going to be new distilleries in old rum making places, which is really yeah. exciting. Much like the, the Barbados example you mentioned yeah. and the Renegade example, there, there are several. Yeah. I think we're going to see much more of those. And I think we're going to see increasingly like very like Renegade, um, the Barbados mm -hmm. project, those yeah. aren't just like little, like, oh, let's open it. Like that's major Correct. investment, major. like oh, huge no, you're right. undertaking. Yeah. So Correct. it's really exciting to me. I hope we keep getting more of those. Um, yeah, long-term investments. Oh, but you will see some of these small little boutique ones as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that's also exciting. If you are going to do something craft, why not do it inside a place where you know you have ample sugar cane growing? Um, you've got a great environment to tropically aid and tropically mature yep. your product. So you will see some boutique places in. I keep my trying to keep my my, my lips closed, um, but in in islands of the Caribbean that may not have any distilleries at the moment, but they are looking and probably will be getting some small little tiny boutique hybrid stills um, where they can just like uh, create their own little legacy. Um, but you can again, it's exciting to, to to see the Caribbean doing that. I, I just had a drink um, a couple of months ago with an a. a a distiller who works for an American rum distillery who is oh. working with some local people in Dominica on starting oh, a distillery oh, there, all yes. cane juice. Um, and yeah. it's, it's a really exciting project and like, it's not secret or anything, but yeah. I, like yeah. they haven't released their first rum yet. And I think people are going to yeah. be seeing that, but that's another example. Um, yeah. man, we could talk all day. Um, <laughs> I, I have one more question and then John, yeah, I, sure. I wanted to see if you had anything. Um, but to, to circle back a little bit to transparency, I thought yeah. you made some really good points on the progress there. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about was just how do you assess kind of like, maybe how happy are you with where we currently are with transparency and what are the major mile markers you're hoping to see in the coming years? Because I know you've, you've really been kind of at the forefront of the GI conversation, mm -hmm. very active and yeah. posting mm -hmm. about that. Um, yeah. What are kind of your expectations uh, between that and, and transparency and everything? What, what are okay. you expecting to see or hoping to see in, in the next you know, four or five years? Yeah. Um, no. Um, in regards to the transparent, uh, sorry, in regards to the GI, we'll start with that part. The GI conversation. I am one thousand percent for any country, uh, any area or territory that wants to try to attain and get a GI to protect themselves and to protect themselves from uh, some of the uh, the the uh, undesirable rum companies that are out there or organizations out there that just basically want to take advantage um, or or try and use a colonial model where it's like, yeah, we'll just take from our, our colonies um, and then create value abroad in the in the Western society or the Western world. So I'm definitely against that because, again, we've come a long way from 400 years ago, 300 years ago, 200 years ago to be stuck in that same mindset of let's just take from, say, just for example, the Caribbean, bring it to Europe and create the value inside Europe. So that's one thing. So I'm always for, for any any country that does the GI. I've been working with countries like Madeira, for example, islands of Madeira, to um, to enforce that. They've, they've got their own GI, but they've, they've been enforcing that around Europe. And then eventually, hopefully, in America, where they come in there, and it's illegally in Europe. It's one of the only areas that are allowed to use the word rum agricole, mm. for example, um, Madeira. Um, I initially started working with Mauritius back in 2008, um, trying to get the distilleries working together to create a Mauritian GI. That's taking a little bit longer, but again, those conversations are, are, are starting. And then, of course, we have 
the Caribbean, the established, the established island. Jamaica has theirs. Um, Barbados is fighting to to create theirs um, at the moment. And if they don't get a an official GI, they'll just create a trademark um, that has to be used to define what you are. But the reason why things like that are important is for the transparency conversation. If I said to you, I'm going to drink this single malt scotch whiskey from, and no disrespect to Afghanistan, but Afghanistan. Um, and the reason why I say that is because we may have preconceptions of what Afghanistan is as a country when it comes to making spirits, but we have no idea what that single malt whiskey is going to be like um, from there. It could be good. It could be bad. We have no idea. But if I said a single malt scotch whiskey, um, you have a prejudice or prejudgment of what that whiskey potentially could be like. Also have, it's also transparent because you know the rules and regulations of that particular region. You know it's not going to have any sugar in there. You know it's going to be aged for a minimum of three years. You know it's going to be pot still. You know it's going to be from a singular, uh, single distillery. That's what we want in rum. And that's where the transparency comes in. I, If I see a rum from an area that I don't know, I'm not expecting them to be transparent. Yeah. If they put an age claim on there and they stick maybe Solera on there and that type of thing, then I'm not I'm not sure as a consumer, I'm not even sure as someone who drinks a lot of rum, what's actually inside that bottle. Um, I have to believe what they say. Mm. But if you're from an area where their region is protected and those laws are in force, I now pretty much 99.9% reoccur and believe them. If something's from Jamaica and it's aged a certain way or it's got a minimum age statement on there, I know it's that age because it's protected. They're transparent through their GI. So I rely on the rules and regulations of that particular territory to tell me what's in that bottle, even before I get into the bottle and then say, oh, it's too strong <laughs> for me. Um, but at least um, the transparency is their label, is is the, the, the protection that they have um, for their geography. So that's what I'd love to see more of in the future um, in regards to transparency, because when it comes to being transparent, anyone can put anything on their, on their label and, and, and see if they can get away with it. It's whether they get caught up or whether they're or the region where they're trying to copy is protected or whether the lawyers get involved to basically right. say, oh, you're not a premium product or you're not really um, respected. You're not really uh, endorsing Michael Jordan's number because, um, <laughs> you don't because you don't really have a Michael Jordan system of making rum inside your particular country. <laughs> Which is why there's a court case going on at the moment. So uh, anyway, I can't uh-huh. say too much. There's a court case going on. Best that. we've got is a Glenn Rice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did Glenn Rice win that number as well? I can't remember. Um, <laughs> I'm just a Heat fan. That's all. All <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. But yeah. So that's the, the whole transparency conversation. Yes, we'd love people to tell us what's inside the bottle more and more. But if there is that safety net of a um, an enforceable geographical indication protection of PDO or uh, any any form of any form of uh, label that someone could look at and say right that rum is this that rum is that it's made this particular way that then helps us understand the rum even before we get into the bottle then we can peel away the layers and say does it taste good or is it mm-hmm. too woody or is it too heavy or is it not woody enough it's not then we're comparing apples and apples and not apples and pears. And that's a long answer, but <laughs> it's a passionate answer. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I saved the easy questions for the end. So, <laughs> no, I, you know, we, we try to ask questions that, that uh, well, I don't say we try, but we often end up asking questions that it's hard to give a 30 second answer to. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, uh, 
John, did you have anything else? We good? No, no, I'm good. I think uh, we got excellent. Uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, you know? oh, we no, could, thanks. Pleasure to talk to you guys as well. Yeah, yeah. we could keep going and going. Yeah. Um, is is yeah. there anything that you were hoping to to touch on that we didn't get to? Um, let's see. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Nothing much. It's just yeah, onwards, onwards and forward with rum uh, as, as as a category. Um, as I said the more and more people that go to events around the world to sample and taste rums uh, with the rum makers, the the ambassadors and other other people, the same type of mindset, the better it is for the rum category. So yes, we will see uh, more rum events. Uh, there are a couple uh, that are going to be in your shores quite soon uh, as well. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, yes. Uh, I just think that the rum industry is the, the best industry in the world. Um, I'm a little bit biased because as you know, I had my first sip when I was about four days old um, as a Jamaican. So, um, so I'm a little bit, a little bit more school. Um, I had that in my blood um, as such. And then the cultural aspects of rum, again, is something I resonate with um, because I've studied and I still study in a lot, a lot of where rum is from. Obviously, we love to talk about where rum is today and as we touch upon where rum is going in the future. So, yeah, so. Let's just drink some great rums out there and, and keep these conversations going and help the industry because it's an important part of the economy for a lot of, as we call, developing uh, countries. Um, when when people say, oh, yeah, but rum is rum is, a, rum is dangerous. I'm like, yeah, it's the most dangerous drug in the world because it's, it's alcohol. Alcohol is the most dangerous drug in the world. But if it's used wisely and moderately, uh, it can still be an important income resource for a lot of, lot of countries, which is why you're seeing certain countries now using rum and these conversations in their manifestos for running for parliament or running for government. So, uh, yeah, so watch that space as well. <laughs> Love it. All right, Ian, we'll, we'll let you get back to enjoying your, your Sunday evening, oh, but thanks. Thanks so much for doing this. We really appreciate no, it. No it's problem. always thanks, great to guys. chat with you. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for having me on the show. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to another bonus episode of the Rumcast. As we said, we will be releasing all of the rest of these full interviews over the next couple of months, probably to our Patreon subscribers. If you are interested in coming along for the ride, getting more bonus episodes, you can go to patreon.com slash the Rumcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash the Rumcast. Or if you just have thoughts, reactions, comments, requests, criticisms, whatever, you can email us at host at rumcast.com. That's H-O-S-T at rumcast.com. Or you can find us on social media. John, same places as always. Where can they find us? Oh, social media is so cringe now, Will. It's so cringe. That's what my, my, a lot of it my is. Uh, daughters would say. A lot of um, it is. No, it's it's a way we can connect. And so <laughs> we still utilize many of those platforms. Okay, uh, Mr. Twitter. Zuckerberg. Yeah, that's right. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, we are on all of those platforms, and uh, we eventually will slide into the DMs if you send us one, and uh, we'll uh, text you back with it, or leave a comment on any of those platforms. Lots of people commenting on the 100th episode. That was cool to see. We really appreciate the feedback, of course. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to releasing more of these, and then eventually we get the hooking a cut, right? You're going to just <laughs> stitch them all together, and uh, we'll have the four and a half hour one. The four we'll and release half hour it as one. a set. Like La Maison and Velier, right? Yeah. Which I still, by the way, I can't say Velier. I noticed it. Like, I, I, I say Velia. Yeah, I don't, I I don't, don't know. know. Why. I, I kind yeah. of get to the R and I just uh, bail. I'm not sure what to do with Committing it. to one thing or the other. Yeah, that's <laughs> just the American in me, I guess. Yep. 
All right, everyone, let us know what you think. And we'll be back soon with a, a regular episode. We'll be back very soon with it. We're looking forward to it. It's a good one. So see you soon. Cheers. Cheers.